it's good to be with you again. It's been a long time since I've been here. I've been up in the Japanese department a number of times over the last few years. And I think uh, that typhoon weekend last fall, we kind of showed our faces here right at the end. But uh, it's good to be back. It's been about 17 years since I've been here. And I have preached here a number of times in English, but it's been a long time. So it's good to be back. You always wonder, you know, you have one time to preach someplace at another church. What, what do you preach on? <laughs> and I had a number of things in mind. At TMC, we're preaching through the book of Acts. And a number of weeks ago, I preached on this passage. And afterwards, as I was contemplating, praying, and uh, wondering what I should share here, uh, Laura suggested, well, maybe this would be a good one. This is a topic I think that all of us need. We sang praises to God, glorifying him. And Paul encourages us to glorify him through our words and our actions in many different places. And really, as we encourage others, we are, in a sense, glorifying God too. Because we're glorifying his creation. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about this morning, is encouragement. And hopefully this will encourage us to encourage by looking at Paul's ministry of encouragement. So if you've got your Bible, if you've got your iPad, whatever you have, uh, Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 12. Let me read this. And there are probably some names here that I'm, I haven't practiced. So chapter 20, verses 1 through 12. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through the area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. Because the Jews made a plot against him, just as he is about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus, and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, Tychicus, and Trophimius from province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arm around him, don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. May God bless his word. Let's just pause in a word of prayer. Lord, you are here in our midst this morning. And I pray that we will open our hearts and our minds to what you have to say to each one of us this morning. I thank you that you are our Lord 
and our Savior, and we praise you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Encouragement. It can be a very strong motivator. But it even goes beyond that. I found this just a couple of days ago, and it's very true in a lot of ways. Encouragement is like oxygen to the human spirit. Don't forget you're carrying somebody else's air. Encourage them. Help them breathe. And really, that's something we need. And if we don't get that encouragement, often it's hard to live, I think, in many ways. Back in 1789, you may know the name of William Wilberforce, an Englishman, who really was the instigator to uh, stop the slave trade in the British Empire. But 1789, he brought before Parliament a number of times. He tried to get that trade stopped to bring bills before Parliament, and it was all rejected. In 1791, a man, again, who you probably have heard the name, John Wesley, famous evangelist in the 18th century. He was on his deathbed, and he heard of the discouragement that William Wilberforce was experiencing. He wasn't getting anywhere. So he wrote a letter, his last letter, before he died just a few days later. And he wrote, part of that letter, he wrote these words, unless God has raised and raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be with you, who can be against you? Are all of them stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might. He wrote those words in 1791. It wasn't until 1833 that Parliament finally passed those bills to end slavery. I'm not sure whether he would have been able to keep on if it wasn't for these words of encouragement. Now, there's also the other side, where when one doesn't get those words of encouragement, that it can have a negative effect. We all have stories that go both ways, where we've been very encouraged to keep on, to persevere, but there's also stories of the negative effect of not being encouraged. My parents were not encouragers. I grew up in Japan. My parents were missionaries here. Not long before I left to uh, return, well, I actually went to Canada. I, I'm an American, but I went my first two years to uh, Trinity Western College. And uh, I was talking with my mother, and she said, you know, we probably, we made a mistake but we didn't want you to get big heads. So we did not encourage with words. And because of that, I mean, I love my parents, they're gone now, but because of that, I've always and still do have issues with self-confidence and my self-image because I was not encouraged. And I still struggle with that. That's an encouragement for us to encourage too, isn't it? Paul, in this chapter, Luke covers this time very, very quickly. In fact, in just the first couple of verses, he summarizes what could have been one to two years of further adventure and Paul's travels during this time. But while Luke gave this time very little attention, 
for Paul, it was very important. You don't read much about it in this book of Acts. But Paul writes about this journey, this trip, a number of different times in 1st and 2nd Corinthians in particular. It was an important time for him. He was returning to the churches that he had planted, to the people that God had brought to himself through Paul's ministry. And he went back to encourage them. And you see in, in his different travels, that's what he did over and over again. And especially here, he spent quite a lot of time in the churches in Macedonia and in Greece. But even though here in Acts it's such a, a short, quick statement of what happened, we can see where Paul's priorities lie. And we can be encouraged, and we can learn from that too. But in this chapter, encouragement obviously is a major theme. And he begins, as I read, when the uproar had ended. This uproar, if you look at the chapter before, Paul's in Ephesus, and he was about ready to leave, and they didn't like what was going on there. So there was a riot. And that forced Paul to stay longer than he had intended. But after that was over, says Paul, sent for the disciples to encourage them and to say goodbye. And as I just mentioned, this was a major reason that Paul made this trip, was to encourage. And Luke goes on to just simply say he traveled through that area, Macedonia and Greece, speaking many words of encouragement to the people. And he finally arrived in Greece. That's all he said. But yet for Paul, that was an important time. And like I said, he mentions it. And even at the end of this passage that I read, when it speaks about Eutychus, after he had been raised from the dead, the people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted or encouraged. That's the same word there. So this whole chapter, and he goes on after this to meet with the Ephesian elders at the end of this trip and he encourages them. So that was his main emphasis and like I said earlier he writes about that often in First and Second Corinthians and also Romans too. But it was during this time that he wrote those three books, some of the greatest works that he wrote. So in many different ways this trip that Luke just barely mentions is an important time for Paul. Paul's journey, just real quickly. Started off in Ephesus and just went up through Macedonia, went back to the churches that he had planted. And he even goes west further towards Rome. Luke doesn't say anything about that Illyrium, but uh, in, I think it's Romans, where he says that's where he visited. But that's his trip. He went all the way to Greece and then back again in just two or so short verses here. He was in Troas after Ephesus, and he had a fruitful ministry there. People were coming to Christ. But as he writes in 1 Corinthians, now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. Now, 
why didn't he have peace of mind? This, this was during the period he had written a letter to the Corinthian church, and he was having big issues with them. They were having issues with him. And it kind of tore at his heart. He hadn't heard yet. And even with the open door in Troas, he was so upset that he went to find to meet Titus, who he had sent ahead with the letter, to find out whether there was any resolution. He needed that peace. He finally meets Titus, where he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, For when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest. We were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within, but God who comforts, again, encourages the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. So even as Paul wanted to encourage others, he was encouraged, and he could continue his ministry knowing that there was resolution and that there was peace, and he was very, very much encouraged, as was Titus, as we see later on in 1 Corinthians. By all this, we are encouraged in addition to our own encouragement. We especially delighted to see how happy Titus was. So Paul was encouraged. And because of that, he could encourage others. So even though strengthening and encouraging believers had been an important part of Paul's ministry up until now, he was encouraged. He needed that. And because of that, he could continue his ministry of encouragement. So even though there was uncertainty, even though he hurt, he continued. And God answered his prayers. And uh, just as we read, he continued through that whole area. He spent time there. It's not just these few words, but he spoke words of encouragement. But it wasn't just words. As God encourages us, Paul encouraged the people in three ways. Just as God encouraged him and encourages us in the same way. It's through his presence, through his words, and through his actions. I just want to take a quick look at these. Paul, first of all, encourages people through his presence. And this is simply by being with people, spending time with them. And that's probably more than anything what Paul did during this journey. I can remember, this was back when I was in seminary, our pastor would often, especially those that were discouraged, were sick, he would go and sit with them, yes, but he would talk and talk and talk. And that's important at times, but there were times when that's not what was needed. And I can remember one time, I wasn't there, but I got the report, he, he went to a person who was basically on her deathbed and just sat there with her. And that more than anything encouraged and for us, sometimes that's all it takes, is just being there, sitting with someone, knowing, they're knowing that they're important to you. And that's what Paul did. Now, he didn't just sit. He talked, I'm sure. They shared. It wasn't a one-way conversation. 
It was living life together. And that's what he was good at. And we, we see kind of an example of this in his week-long stay in Troas, as it mentions later on in this chapter. Luke writes that the believers gathered on the first day of the week, and they shared a fellowship meal. Now, breaking bread often and normally speaks to the Lord's Supper. But often it's not just the Lord's Supper. They broke bread They shared the Lord's Supper, and then they ate together, a love feast. And that probably was as important as the remembering of what Jesus had done. And that's what he did at Troas, and that's probably what he did in each church. And that's what we do too, in essence, as we share the Lord's Supper. We might not continue with a love feast, but that's what it is. And... Table fellowship is a big thing in the New Testament. That's how Jesus ministered most of the, Most of his ministry was done around the table. And I'm sure that's what Paul did. And we see that here in Troas, too. He did preach. He did share God's word. He taught. But more than anything, it was simply because he was there. And here in Japan, probably... Use the words, just showing your face. That can be a huge encouragement by simply doing that. But we also see that after Eutychus was raised from the dead, Luke simply writes, he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. Now, maybe the Lord's Supper was involved, I don't know. But more than anything, probably just sat down with everyone else and shared a meal. And Luke just barely touches on this, like this is normal behavior. There's something that happened. I mean, it's no big deal. This is how God used Paul. But when you think about it, you know, after an incident like that, raising someone from the dead, (laughs) how are you going to go back to your sermon? (laughs) If that's what he was doing. Yeah, I mean, he was sharing, discussing. When Laura and I were uh, at one of our supporting churches in the Chicago area, the pastor was preaching, and he had basically just started his message and was doing the introduction. Maybe five minutes, a little longer into it, man right in front of us started collapsing. And uh, I don't know what it was. We never heard, I don't think, afterwards, but his color was gone. Um, he did revive some, but EMTs came and took him away to the hospital pastor got up afterwards or during then he says well I'm not going to keep going at this point let's just pray for him and after they had taken him out he said you know I I really can't continue here and he basically in a couple of minutes he concluded what he was saying Paul probably in a way felt the same way but afterwards they celebrated together by sitting around the table. And we see how important this was to Paul by just being with people and sharing his life with them. Sharing food around the table. Doesn't matter what status we are, does it? We all need to eat. And we sit down together and that often opens the door to encouragement, to just sharing where we don't get that chance other times. And Paul, later on after this, the next part of this chapter, 
he meets with the Ephesian elders and he begins his last farewell message to them basically by saying, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. He was there for three years. He lived with them. He worked with them. He shared with them. That could only have happened if he spent time with them, couldn't it? And then later on, he wrote to Timothy, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, the persecutions I endured. You can read about those earlier in Acts. But again, this couldn't have happened if he didn't sit down with Timothy, spend time with him. And that's exactly what he did. So because of that, Paul knew these people intimately and they knew him. That was part of his ministry and part of his encouragement. In fact, that's why Paul could make so many close friends. And if you look at Acts and all of his letters and you count all of the people that he mentions or that he ministered with, partnered with, there were probably around a hundred. And that's probably just a small sampling. That's not everyone. But it's because he spent time with people. And through that, he encouraged them. So it's obvious that that was a big part of his ministry of encouragement. But it didn't stop there. He encourages people through his words, too, in different ways. As we already read in verse 2, he traveled through that area speaking many words of encouragement to the people. And later on in Troas, in verse 7 and 9, you see where Luke talks about his marathon schedule. I don't think it was all preaching, but he was talking. But for him, for him and us, teaching is an important part of encouragement also. Encouragement can mean comfort. It can mean urging someone towards something, urging them to do, to be. And that was a big part of Paul's ministry, is live out the faith that Jesus has given you. So Paul continued to do that. As uh, you see in Acts chapter 14, he went back to his early churches that he planted and he did that in order to strengthen the disciples and encourage them to remain true to the faith. That was a part of encouraging. And that was important for him as he traveled and during this time too. Luke doesn't write about it. But he's already written about what Paul did and how he ministered. He says in other places, says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, this is in Romans, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He encouraged them to live a life that glorified God. And he goes on in Ephesians, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He encouraged and in fact, you do love all God's family. He wrote this to the Thessalonica church, where he wrote there that their love and their love of Jesus and the gospel had spread through the whole region. 
but it started with Paul and the way that he ministered. And he wrote, he said, in fact, you do love all God's family throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. So even though the church's people were doing well, living well, he encouraged, he urged, he pushed. There's always more. You can always love more. Now, obviously, it's not just the gambare. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it outside of that. But that's where the encouragement comes to. To take that power and to live our lives. And that's what Paul was doing here. So, Paul believed in the power of God's Word. There's no question about that. If you read his letters and read Acts, there's no question that that was forefront, that was important, vital to him, personally, but also to his ministry. And he said to the Ephesian elders, when he said his farewell at the end of his time with them, he said, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. It was that important to him. And then to Colossians here, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And we did that earlier. I don't think it's just about singing together, but that's what we did. We encouraged each other. And that's why we need to meet together. Because without that, it's pretty hard to encourage each other, for one thing. But it's also hard to learn how to encourage if we don't meet together like this. Paul understood, just as, remember John Wesley, who I referenced earlier? His mother, Susanna, told him that this book, this book, God's Word, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. Paul could have said that. And that's often how he encouraged and urged people to live for their Savior and their Lord. But again, he didn't just do it through his words either. He did it through his life. He immersed himself in the Word of God in order that he could live that. And it shows as he encourages people through his action. And again in 1 Corinthians, he says, Therefore I urge you to imitate me, not because I'm perfect, but because as much as I have been able, I have immersed myself in God himself and in his word. That's what I want you to imitate, is my relationship to God, the fellowship I have with him, and the way that I minister. So he didn't just say the words, he did them. And then, of course, the great encouragement, Eutychus, and that whole thing. Just very quickly, you know, there, there are those that kind of blame Paul for what happened to Eutychus. <laughs> and yeah, maybe he went on and on, it says. But Luke doesn't blame Paul, I don't think, because he does say specifically that there were candles, torches, that burned olive oil. 
and probably the room was packed in. I don't think it would have been this big. I can't imagine a place big enough for this, but it was packed, that smoke from the uh, torches, and it's kind of hot in there, stuffy. And in, in those kinds of apartments, places, the windows, of course, didn't have glass. They were low, kind of like down here. So he was probably sitting right there, and there's a lattice that allowed air to come in and out, but it wouldn't have kept people from falling out, and that's exactly what happened. After Paul had gone on, this is the last time with him, and I don't think it was just a sermon. I think it was more than that. I think he was telling stories. It was an exciting time. He was teaching, yes. But he was sharing what God had been doing through him. And he was probably hearing what God was doing in their lives, too. But just the atmosphere. Eutychus probably was a slave. Call him a lad, which in those times was somewhere between 8 years old and 14, I think they say it was. He had probably worked all day, so he was tired. And then I mean, he just couldn't take it physically. He fell asleep and fell out. But because of that, God used those actions to encourage. Now it says that, again, they came back and they ate together, but then Paul kept talking. Now again, I think it was more of a discussion. But uh, Now I've never been to Africa, but as I understand it, their services are quite some... I, in fact, I have four or five more hours to go here. <laughs> it is getting late, isn't it? We've got a couple of Africans that are part of our uh, fellowship. Also talking to a couple from India, too. And uh, he said, you know, a Western preacher will come and share his 20-minute sermon. He says, barely gotten started here, you know. And uh, I read someplace about a preacher who went to Africa, and he preached his normal sermon. And he got up to sit down. He said, ah, hold, wait a second. We're not done yet. And so he got back up, and I think he preached a number of sermons. Slung the, I don't know, but I'm getting kind of long here. But nothing compared to what Paul was doing or, or what many around the world, they meet together and they celebrate. Now, there is the issue. Uh, one of our African attendees said, yeah, we meet together for hours, but I kind of wonder how much people are hearing. You know, you, you can get tired, even though you might be used to that. But for Paul, this was his last time with them. And it wasn't because of his talking that Eutychus fell asleep and was killed in his fall. It's just because of the atmosphere. But the point is that whether it was through his words, through his life, through his actions, he comforted, he encouraged, he urged. Eutychus actually means lucky one. And in a way, he was. Um, but, uh, you know, w one of the points I think that uh, we need to also remember is this is a great encouragement, but it doesn't always happen this way. A number of you know, you probably don't all know this, uh, Laura is my second wife. We got married just over two years ago. And a gift that God gave me. This Friday, 
is the eighth anniversary of my first wife's death from cancer. She struggled with it for three plus years. And, you know, you think of someone like that, that they're the ones that we need to encourage, and that is very true. She was encouraged. She had people from around the world praying for her, for her healing. It didn't happen. Well, actually, yes, it did. Because she's now perfectly healed. And she's with her Lord. And that's a place we all want to be, right? But we prayed for her to be healed here. That didn't happen. But we also can be greatly comforted because we don't grieve like the rest of mankind. And even if it's a death, if it's suffering, persecution, we're still comforted because we have that hope where my first wife, Lynn, is right now. She no longer has any pain. She no longer is suffering. She is with her Lord. And that's a great encouragement to all of us. So even though the people in Troas were greatly comforted and encouraged by what Paul did in raising Eutychus from the dead, there's even greater encouragement as we look forward to what God has for us. And you mentioned that earlier. That's something that should always be there with us. And in a way, Eutychus had to come back and suffer. <laughs> so maybe it wasn't such a great thing. But, you know, just to say that through Paul's actions, he also encouraged. And Paul's companions were people that he was bringing along to Jerusalem with gifts for the poor in Jerusalem. But they were also representatives of each of his churches that he had planted. God's work what he had done in reaching the Gentiles. And Paul's prayer, his hope, would be that through this they would witness to that fact. And in fact, that did happen. Now, there were other things that happened too, but they were welcomed, and because of that, that unity that Paul so wanted in the Church of Jesus Christ happened because of his companions. This is one of my favorite chapters actually, First Thessalonians. And one of the things that he writes is about his ministry of encouragement with them through his actions. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So he lived this out. He lived with them. Earlier talks about how he was like a mother, a nursing mother, in comforting and encouraging his people. So, Paul encouraged. That was his ministry. Yes, he planted churches. He's one of the greatest missionaries that lived. He wrote much of the New Testament where we are encouraged. But through this we see how he encouraged through his simple presence, through his words, through his actions. And he encouraged so many people in that way. But what about us? Where does that bring us? I mean, I, hopefully that through this, you have, you know, thought, well, okay, well, I can encourage in this way. 
this is a challenge for us. But how can we do that? There are a number of times where Paul and others say, encourage one another. And that's important. Just, I mean, if you worshiping together, we've talked about that. Sitting around the table, sharing your lives with each other. And, and just talking. Nothing great. But that can be a huge encouragement. Letters, emails of encouragement. Just a word or two sometimes can mean so much to someone. And of course, through our lives, as we share it together. Now, it's kind of hard in Japan. We're all busy. Laura and I have talked and we're committing to doing more hospitality. It's hard because she doesn't get home until 7 after English teaching. I do weddings on Saturday, almost every Saturday, so Saturdays are difficult. I don't get home until 7 or later. How do we do that? How do we do it in this context? That's the challenge, but it's something that needs to happen. And Paul found a way. Now, the culture that he lived in was very different than ours, but it still speaks to us too. St. Clair came to Christ through St. Francis of Assisi, devoted her life to Jesus, her Lord. On her deathbed, these were her last words. Lord God, blessed be thou for having created me. I wonder how many of us can say this. Thank you, God, for creating me. There are many times I'd have a hard time with that. But you know, as I read this, just, just recently, I thought, you know, this is a huge way that we can encourage others. I'm glad God created you. You are blessed. And second, you know, maybe more than anything else, those words might have a huge impact. But of course, like we've talked about, it's not just the words. It's the life behind those words. Let's go back to this. Encouragement is like oxygen to the human spirit. Don't forget you're carrying someone else's air. Encourage them. Help them breathe. In a very real sense, this is life. Without encouragement, there's not much. So I could say my challenge to you, but it's also a challenge especially to me. Our challenge is this week. Find ways that you can encourage, that I can encourage. That's Paul's ministry is an example. And that's one of the reasons he could say, imitate me. So let's do that very thing. Let's Give out that oxygen. It's through that that we glorify God. And really, in a lot of ways, it's through that that we will reach a country like Japan that so desperately needs God. When we are blessed, then we will bless others. Now, I hope I haven't put you to sleep. <laughs> I know I've gone long. Not as long as Paul. But we need this, I think. And I pray that this church 
and TMC2 will be a place of encouragement. Lord, thank you for this word, and I pray that you will challenge us in our lives to be that encouragement for someone. There are so many ways that we can do that. Just show us how and when and who we can encourage. And we thank you so much that you are part of our lives. And because of that, we can have this kind of ministry too. Thank you that you've been here with us this morning. I pray this in your name. Amen.